29, uh, verse number 1. A song of degrees. Many a time have they afflicted me from my youth, may Israel now say. Many a time have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back, they made long their furrows. The Lord is righteous. He hath cut asunder the cords of the wicked. Let them all be confounded and turn back that hate Zion. Let them be as grass upon the housetops, which withered afore it groweth up. Wherewith the mower filleth not his hand, nor he that bindeth sheaves his bosom. Neither do they which go by say, The blessing of the Lord be upon you. We will bless you in the name of the Lord. We come to this psalm of degrees tonight. We have been preaching through these, uh, kind of, we've done some on some Sundays, but mostly we've spent most of our Wednesday nights here. And we want to remind us that the word degrees means an ascension. It means to go up. The word picture is that of walking up a set of stairs. And as I said, I've said many times in this series, uh, that it is believed that the Jews would sing these psalms as they ascended up the steps of the temple to worship. They would step on the first step and sing Psalm 120. In my distress, I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. And they would take the second step and sing Psalm 121. I will lift up mine eyes into the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. They would take that third step and sing Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And on and on they would go. There were 15 of these Psalms of degrees. And we come tonight to Psalm 129. And this Psalm is believed to have been written after the return of the Jews from Babylonian captivity. The reason most Bible students hold this view is because of the statement that is used in verse number 3 where it says, the plowers plowed upon my back. If we were to look at these verses, we'll not for sake of time, but over in Isaiah chapter 51, Micah chapter 3, and Jeremiah 26, the Babylonian captivity is referred to by these men as plowing and, and being plowed. The captivity was a difficult time for the people of God. It was a time of correction because of their rebellion, how they allowed idolatry in their lives, and how they allowed sin. They did not heed the word of the Lord. And may I remind you, the Bible does teach us that whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Somebody said, I feel like God hates me because he's correcting me. Just the opposite. The reason that God is correcting you is because God loves you. And we ought to thank God for that tonight. There ain't a parent one here tonight. There's not an adult one here tonight that if we saw one of these precious little ones running towards the road, that we would lift up our voice. And it may seem like we were angry at them, but we are trying to get their attention because we know of the imminent danger that awaits them. Thus God will send correction and chastisement in our life because He sees what's down the road and He sees the imminent danger in our lives and wants to protect us from the enemy and from the danger. The theme of this psalm tonight is that of affliction. And I want to preach on this, through this psalm tonight on this simple subject, advancing through affliction. In other words, you can make it through those times of affliction in your life. I'd like to say three things out of this psalm very quickly. First of all, I want us to know the affliction that he faced. The affliction that he faced. In this psalm here, we do not know who the author is. There are a lot of arguments about whether it be Hezekiah or 
Ezra. It is definitely a man, though, who spent some time in the Babylonian captivity. So what kind of affliction, what kind of adversity is he facing? Well, first of all, I want us to note the presence of his affliction. Watch what he says in verse 1. Many a time have they afflicted me. He will repeat this statement again. In verse number 2, many a time have they afflicted me. This is what is called a Hebrewism. Now, in the Hebrew, we know that the book of Psalms is a hymn book of the Hebrews. And we know that when we sing a psalm, uh, it rhymes. Uh, he, uh, we think about the song of victory in Jesus. He sought me and he bought me. with his. These are words that rhyme. That is how we write music with words that rhyme. But the Jews and the Hebrews, their songs do not rhyme. But they are repetitive. They are Hebrewism. So he'll say, many a time have they afflicted me from my youth, may now Israel say. Many a time. He'll repeat it for emphasis. And so what I want us to pick up here is the presence of affliction. In other words, you're going to be troubled in life. You're going to have affliction in this life. The word afflicted in this text, it means to bind. It means to be narrow, to be in distress. It means to cause distress or to be bound. And may I remind you that God's people have always been a people that have faced affliction. The first two times the word affliction used in the principle of first mention, the first two times that the word affliction is used in our King James Bible is in Genesis 16:11 when the reference of Hagar being cast out. Here's what the Lord said unto Hagar. Behold, thou art with a with child, and thou shalt bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. Then the second time this word affliction is used is in Genesis 29, 32. The Bible said, And Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon mine affliction. Now the first two times the word affliction is used in the Bible it is with two women that have been forsaken. We see that Hagar was forsaken by Abraham and Jacob or excuse me, Leah was forsaken by Jacob because Leah was tender-eyed and Jacob loved Rachel but he didn't love Leah and so God, I love this, God heard the affliction of Hagar in Genesis 16 and God saw the affliction of Leah in Genesis 29 and we ought to find hope that the first two times that affliction is mentioned in the Bible. God hears it and God sees it. Amen. And you ought to find hope and find comfort in the fact that when you're in a place of distress, when you're in a place of affliction in your life, God hears your prayer and God sees your need. God's people all through the Bible have abounded in affliction. Genesis 41, 52, speaking of Joseph, the Bible said in the name of the second son, he called Ephraim. Here's what he said, For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Joseph said, I was brought down to Egypt as a slave, but God has blessed me and God has caused me to be fruitful in my place, in my land of affliction. I'll tell you tonight, you may be in a tight spot. You might be in a place of distress. You might be in a narrow place but I'm glad we have a God tonight that can go beyond our problem and can go beyond our need and when we feel like we are bound and cannot get anywhere we have a God who sees who hears, who knows and who understands and through that affliction he can make us fruitful. Exodus chapter 112 I mentioned this on Sunday night that the Bible said but the more, speaking of the Egyptians afflicting the people of God in Egypt but the more they afflicted him 
the more they multiplied and grew. Over there in 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, Paul talking about that church of Macedonia, how in their great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded into the riches of liberality. In other words, they were in a tight uh, spot financially in affliction. But you know what they did? They just kept on giving and they kept on honoring God and they kept on sacrificing and God blessed them and they abounded in their afflictions. So I said, preacher, why do you mention all those things? Because you're not the first one to be afflicted. We're not the first believers to go through hard times. We're not the first ones to go through storms and difficulties and you won't, you're not the first one and you won't be the last one. So we know that the presence of affliction. But then there's the persistency of affliction. In our text, he'll say this twice, many a time have they afflicted me. Verse 2, many a time have they afflicted me. The context of this is Israel. Because he says in verse number 1, may Israel now say. I want to deal with the context, then I'll make an application. Israel and the Jew are the most persecuted people that's ever been. Many a time have they been afflicted. Many a times have they been brought under persecution. And they will forever be. We note the persistency. But may I, may I make the application, we as the people of God suffer persecution. Nothing like our brothers and sisters in Middle Eastern countries do. But the Bible says, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, I'll be honest with you tonight. I used to think that that little persecution they would suffer, Brother Richie, is from those men with swords and guns that hate our God. But I have learned that if you try to take a step towards godliness, even in the fundamental world, you will suffer persecution. Amen. You know why a lot of people ain't suffering persecution? Because a lot of people ain't living godly. So there's a persistency. There is the presence. But then there's the period of his affliction. Watch what he said. From my youth. You know where, you know where this battle started for Israel it started in the womb Jacob and Esau were twins you know what their mother said the Bible said that the children struggled together within her and the Lord told that two nations are in thy womb and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels the the one people shall be stronger than the other people and the elder shall serve the younger that battle started for Israel in the womb the context, of course, speaking of the two nations, we are reminded that Israel has been under the enslavement of the Egyptians for 400 years. God brought them out. We think about the Babylonian, the Assyrian captivity, which they have come out of, come out of in this context of Psalm 129. We know that in A.D. 70, after the, uh, that the, the General Titus, the Roman General Titus came in and destroyed Jerusalem and killed, killed thousands of Jews. To bring it up to date, we know that 6 million Jews died in the Holocaust. They have been persecuted and been attacked, and they will continue to be attacked. You understand that during the tribulation period, it is the time of Jacob's trouble. And they will be persecuted even more. The Antichrist will come against that Jew, just like they're setting up for things now. To come against the Jew, they are doing that now. And I'm telling you tonight, I don't want to, I don't want to pray against prophecy, uh, but I do pray that somehow, some way, that America will be a friend of Israel. You can say what you want to about Donald Trump, like it, lump it, bump it, or jump it, but the man was a friend of Israel. And the man stood with Israel, and I respected the man for that. That's why he's getting my vote in 2024 again, among other 7,000 other reasons, amen. Uh, 87,000 other reasons to be exact. 
Don't get me started on all that. But I'm telling you tonight, we find that all nations that forget God should be... And here's what God told Abraham. He said, those that bless you, I'll bless you. Bless. And those that curse you, I'll curse. And I'm afraid that America, if something don't change, is going to turn their back on Israel. And I believe even when George Bush was president, uh, George, you know, I know our president, President Trump, came up with the term "rhino," but George Bush was a rhino before they had the before they had the term. He was a Republican in name only. He began to do the peace agreement to give away the land to try to have peace in the Middle East. That is not his land to give away. That land is the Jews. I don't know why he thought about it. Trump was even messing with it a little bit, and thank God, uh, I don't agree with what he did, but thank God, I, I believe, I, it could be the judgment of God when we got Biden, but I'm just telling you, we better be careful how we treat the Jew. Because God takes that Jew very seriously. We find not only the period, but then we find the process of his affliction. Verse number three, the plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. As mentioned, this is referring to the Babylonian captivity. And the application here is the enemy's just always on their back. Anybody know what I'm talking about with that? I mean, it's like you turned around, affliction, adversity, just on your back, on your back, everywhere you turn. The whole term is you got a monkey on your back. Just on your back constantly. That is the word picture. They're just plowing. You don't plow in just one hit. With the plow, you got to work. You got to put some diligence in. And Israel said, that's what I feel like. Like that's been on my back, just plowing and plowing and plowing. So we find the adversity or the affliction that he faced. But secondly, I want us to note the assurance that he finds. Watch this now. He said in verse number two, Many a time have they afflicted me from my youth. Now watch this now. Yet they have not prevailed against me. I note in this text there is a conjunction. He said, yet. That little word, we use, use the word yet as a conjunction to connect two words, phrases, or clauses. Yet means but or nevertheless. And whenever, uh, whenever this is used, they can be used interchangeably. In other words, here's what he's saying. We were in bondage. We were persecuted. The enemy was on our back. But they didn't win, thank God. They had me in a corner, yet they did not prevail. I'm telling you practically, you can look at Israel and see all the times they've been attacked and they've been pushed in a corner somewhere only for God to raise up a Moses and God to part a Red Sea and lead them out of the, out of the land of Egypt. They get by the walls of Jericho and there ain't no way. And it looks like they're cornered and they're going to lose. But God makes a way when there is no way. I tell you, you study out that Holocaust. Six million Jews were dying only for God to allow a Jew to walk into a science lab and split the atom and ended World War II when they dropped the atomic bomb. There and here ended it all. You know what happened? God was working on their behalf. I encourage you, you study out the Six-Day War in the 1960s when they were fighting for their freedom, when Israel was fighting for their independence. They didn't have much of an army. They didn't have much military. But they beat their enemies and they won. And they stand alone today. I tell you, the world hates that little strip of land in Israel. They can't figure it out. But I tell you, there's more millionaires over there. And there's more military over there. And there's more freedom over there than even we enjoy in some parts of America. But uh, you know why? Because they did not prevail. You know why they didn't prevail? If God be for us, who can be against us? Thank God he's going to take care of that Jew. He's going to watch out for them. Even when the Antichrist rages during the tribulation period, they're going to get that 
wipe Judah in the valley of Megiddo. They're going to try to wipe Israel off the map only for the heavens to open. And Jesus come riding out on a white horse and he's going to smite the nations and he's going to rule with a rod of iron. God will take care of the Jew. Oh, but how many times in our life have we been afflicted and we've been attacked but we're still here tonight. The enemy fought against us yet they did not prevail. I'm glad we find there is adversity that we face but there is assurance that we find that God takes care of us. The Bible said in Psalm 34, 19, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Here's what Paul said. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. I tell you, Paul went through a lot of hard times, didn't he? Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he said he said he was in weariness and painfulness and in watchings and hunger and thirst and fastings often in cold and nakedness. He said he's in par- he was thrice beaten with rods and he was stoned and thrice he suffered, suffered shipwreck and spent a day and night in the sea and journeyings often in perils of water and perils of robbers and perils of my own country and perils by the heathen and perils in the city and in the wilderness and perils in the sea and perils among false brethren. But you know what he says in verse 29? Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is who is offended? And I burn not. If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern my infirmities. And he gets over in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12 and he said, I, I'm telling you what I'm going to glory in. He said, I knew a man in Christ Jesus who was called up into the third heaven. And he said he heard things that he couldn't tell. And he said, God gave me that thorn in the flesh. And he said, I prayed three times that God might remove it. But here's what God said. My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Here's what Paul said. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He said, I will glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know what Paul figured out? I I've been attacked. I've been ridiculed. I've been beaten. I've went down with a ship. But God's still good. And God's still faithful. And God is working on my behalf. Y'all getting a hold of any of this? The conjunction. There's the certainty. Here's what, what is the certainty during all this affliction? Verse 4. The Lord is righteous. Now, uh, his, those people that are persecuted ain't righteous. But the Lord is righteous. And I want to remind you tonight in a day of uncertainty and unrest that God is still faithful and that God is still good. There was a man by the name of Polycarp who was one of the believed, and as I read and study his life, I believe he was a convert of the Apostle John. Polycarp's interesting because he connects us back to the, to the apostles and to the early church. And Polycarp was lived between 70 A.D. and 155 A.D. The emperors of Rome had unleashed bitter attacks against the Christians during this period, and members of the early church recorded many persecutions and death. Polycarp was arrested on the charge of being a Christian. Time out. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to prosecute you and convict you? Apparently they had some for him, and they arrested him, and they charged him being a Christian, a member of a politically dangerous cult whose rapid growth needed to be stopped. Um, and they, that's what they accused him to be, a religious cult. I've heard that before. Amidst an angry mob, this Roman's prosecutor 
He took pity on Polycarp being a gentle old man and urged him, say, just say Caesar is Lord. If only Polycarp would make this declaration and offer a small pinch of incense to Caesar's statue, he would escape torture and death. To which the old man of God replied, Eighty-six years have I served Jesus Christ, and he has never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Steadfast in his stand for Christ, he refused to compromise and was burned alive at the stake. You know what he was saying? I might be being persecuted, but God's been good to me. And if it's the day that I'm going home, it's been a good trip. It's been a good ride. May God give us people of courage and steadfast, strong. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be therefore steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. There is not only the conjunction and the certainty, but there's the conquest. Verse number four He hath cut asunder the cords of the wicked. Begin to study out that phrase, cut asunder the cords of the wicked. The word picture of that phrase is God took the advantage away from the enemy. They had an advantage, but that advantage was taken away. Carnal illustration. National Championship, George was playing Alabama, and they had an advantage. His name was Jamison Williams, a wide receiver. I mean, just good. And bless his heart, but he went to catch a ball and tore his ACL. I said, oh, no. <laughs> Somebody said, why'd you do that? Because they had an advantage. We couldn't stop him. But when the advantage was taken away, thank God, by miracle of God and many prayers, we won. Amen. I'm telling you tonight, the devil, uh, the, Paul reminds us that we need to be careful of Satan's devices so he don't get an advantage against us. He has some advantages. You know, in, throughout the Bible, the, the, the devil is pictured as some animals. He's pictured as a serpent in Genesis 3. He's pictured as a wolf in John 11. He's pictured as the dragon in Revelation 12. He's pictured as a lion in, in the book of Revelation. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 5, he's pictured as a lion. He has advantage. Did you know for all those animals, there is a solution for the serpent? You know what they would do with them serpents? Them shepherds. When they put out, I've been reading that book on that shepherd. When he put his, put his little sheep out there in the field, the first thing he would do was walk out through that field, uh, brother, brother Charles, and he would look for, look for them viper holes. Look for those holes where those snakes were calling in. And when he found them, he would take that oil out of his bag and he would pull that all all around that hole so when that serpent tried to crawl out he couldn't get out he couldn't you know why he's doing that to keep the sheep safe and aren't you glad even though there's a serpent out there deceiving us we have a shepherd you know who the enemy of the wolf is it's the shepherd because the, the, the hireling he runs when the wolf comes but that shepherd will defend and stand to protect his sheep over there that dragon pictures the devil he's going to be cast in a lake of fire that lion that lion's interesting though because the lion is the king of the jungle not George amen George of the jungle all right the lion is the king of the jungle you know the lion does not have a predator he's at the top of the food chain and I read this one day with Tony the only predator that a lion has is a bigger lion and yes, the devil is a roaring lion, but John turned in Revelation 5 and he saw the lion of the tribe of Judah. I tell you, it may look like the enemy has advantage tonight. The devil may have some power, but God has all power, thank God. And we will win the victory. Let me say this quickly. There's a comfort in this assurance. Verse number 3, the plowers plowed upon my back. They may loan their furrows. 
When we read, you know what we use that verse to? It's a reference, it's a prophetical meaning pointing to the sufferings of Christ. How that Christ would be scourged and how he would be beaten. We've heard about that, how, how even in Isaiah it's mentioned. Somebody said, Preacher, what's the assurance? Oh, you may feel like the enemy's on your back, but he knows how you feel. His back's been beaten. He knows the suffering. He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. So there's the affliction that he faces. There's the assurance that he finds. But last of all, I'll just say this and I'll be done. There's the attitude that he forms. Number one, he had the, notice the peace that he retains. Verse number four, the Lord is righteous. He hath cut asunder the cords of the wicked. He's got peace in this. He knows the enemy's raging, but he knows God's faithful. There's the petition that he requests in verses 5 through 8. Let them all be confounded that turn back that hate Zion. Let them be as the grass upon the housetops, which wherewith the four it groweth up, wherewith the mower filleth not his hand, nor he that bindeth sheaves in his bosom. Neither do they say which go by, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We will bless you in the name of the Lord. Somebody said, Preacher, what's he saying in all this? He's just saying, God, I'm going to trust you to take care of those enemies. I know we're to fight the good fight of faith. I know we're to put on the whole armor of God. But we've got to understand the battle's not ours. The battle is the Lord's. We better trust in Him and say, God, this is too big for me. This is too much for me to handle. I cannot gain this victory on my own. That is the petition that He requests. Say, God, I need you to take care of this. You got anything in your life tonight you need God to take care of? You sing that old song, Got Any Rivers? Too big of the cross? Got any mountains that cannot move? God specializes. God specializes in those things. You know why God likes working in impossible situations? So when it works out, no man can get the glory. And no man can get the credit. There is the peace he retains, the petition he requests, but then there's the path on which he remains. I don't necessarily have a phrase or a verse for this in the text, but it is the whole psalm. Just because he suffered affliction, he didn't quit serving God. You know, he's, you know what this tells me? He's still got a song. Because he just wrote one. I tell you, a lot of times, and I'm, I'm, I'm winding down, a lot of times, storms and difficulties and troubles, instead of drawing us close to the Lord, we don't respond right, and we get further from the Lord. But thank God this psalmist in this text did not allow his affliction to drive him away from the Lord. But he had a song. And apparently, God thought so much of this particular song, he said, I want you to put that in my holy book. To be a blessing. To remind people at Safe Harbor Baptist Church on a Wednesday night, August the 10th, 2022, there's going to be afflictions. But yet they have not prevailed. I want to remind you, church, we're on the winning side tonight. We're, we're not fighting to victory. We're not fighting to win. We're fighting from victory. You know, somebody's a preacher. How do you know? Because victory was won at Calvary. The battle's over. I ain't never done this before, and I ain't planning on doing it, so don't bring me one. Anybody ever wrung a chicken's neck? Matthew, you've wrung a chicken's neck? Oh, in school. Well. <laughs> Woo. They tell me. Now, you wring a chicken's neck, he'll run around after you drop him on the ground. Is that right? My great-granddaddy said the reason he'll do that is because he de he's dead and just don't know it. <laughs> That's what my great-granddaddy always said. Well, the devil got his neck run at wrung at Calvary. 
And he is walking around to and fro, up and down the earth. He's searching. But you know what? He's just defeating. Don't know it. So why are we walking around like we lost? I know there's trials. I preached about afflictions. Hey, we got them. we, We got them. I understand that. But I tell you, God's people ought to be the happiest people in the world. We ought to have a song. We ought to have a testimony. We ought to have joy in our heart. You know why? If nothing else, in this, phrase, this psalm, there's one phrase you ought to get a hold of tonight. The Lord is righteous. That word righteous speaks of his character, speaks of his perfection. But all, you know what that word righteous also means? It means he just does what's right. Preacher, have you seen what's going on in our country? Yeah, I know. Have you seen all, I mean, I'm just telling you, things are setting up, things are setting up. I got some preacher friends you talk to, you'll, they'll scare you to death. Things are setting up. And as, as, a, as an American, I'm bothered and I'm mad. Because I'm an American citizen. I pay taxes. I'm going to be paying more taxes, apparently. I'm mad. As a daddy, I'm concerned. Because I got children. As a Christian and as a preacher, I am excited. Because I see it's all setting up. It's all setting up. You realize, but Sammy Allen said this all the time. We're going to pray. There ain't one verse that has to be fulfilled for Jesus to come back. It's all been fulfilled. We're just waiting on the trumpet to sound. Just any day now, the choir sings, our Lord is coming. I've been watching and I've been waiting. Somebody said, well, we're not supposed to be watching. Paul said, I'm looking for that blessed hope. Paul said, I got up this morning and I looked. I didn't see him. So I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm going to look again. Just any day now. Here's, I'll say this and we'll pray. You can't look for the Lord that's coming like this. These psalms of the degrees means an ascension. Do you see the theme in these psalms? All the psalms are getting your head up. Get your head up. You know, it's hard to do on Wednesday night. We come in, been discouraged from the world, all that stuff. We got our head down a little bit. But I want to encourage you tonight. Get your head up. Look for that blessed hope. Jesus is coming again, and you can advance through affliction. Amen. Praise the Lord. I appreciate your attention tonight. Amen. Thank God for his word, don't you?